so the theme of our Easter thing, we've, we've had it in our mind for since really the third week of January, and uh, it was this theme that is, ain't no grave. And it's kind of interesting because you think about this idea of ain't no grave, this is what we've been kind of, I've been thinking about, like, what do you, what do you do with that? I've spent a lot of time in the last three months thinking about death, which is kind of a weird thing, okay? But I w- I've just been thinking about it, and, and as, I've, as I've been thinking about death, one of the things that, like, keeps coming to mind as to, like, why it's sad is that it really doesn't matter when you die. Part of what makes death sad is that there's this sense of, man, if, if only they had more time. And I was just thinking of it like, kind of like this. Like, um, you think of it with people. Like, it's almost cliche to use this example because I'm sure a lot of people are aware of it, but Vincent Van Gogh. When he, when he was alive, he sold one painting for the modern-day equivalent of $109, okay, which is, like, less than a painting you would buy at Kirkland's today, okay? So, like, didn't make a lot of money on his paintings. Then he dies, okay? And, and when he dies, people start discovering his work, and as they discover his work, now his art is worth millions and millions of dollars. You could almost argue that it's priceless, it's kind of sad if you think about it, because you think, gosh, if only that guy would have had more time, he would have really been able to enjoy the fruits of his labor, but instead he didn't get to. It's not just Vincent Van Gogh, but there's also this like group, it's like this musical club called the 27 Club, and it's famous musicians who died at age 27. And it was really big back in the day. People like, like Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, they're all part of that club. And more recently, Amy Winehouse is part of that club. And you kind of look at their stories, and it's sad, right? And you think, man, if, if only they would have just had more time. Think of the music that they could have created. Like Even like Jimi Hendrix, I'm pretty sure he only had one number one hit song. And you just think, gosh, what more could he have done if he just had more time? Now, I'm a millennial from the suburbs, so I can't help but think about death and start thinking about Tupac and Biggie, right? Like, you guys, know, you guys are with me? Like, and they weren't 27 when they died, but like, I mean, they was too soon. And, and you just think, man, if, if they would have had just a little bit more time, think of the music that they would have been able to release I kind of had this vision of hologram Tupac at the Super Bowl this last year, you know? But he would have been able to be there if he was still alive. Instead of getting a hologram Tupac, I just got upside down 50 cent, which wasn't nearly as good. (laughs) But you think, man, what could they have had? And you think, well, so you're thinking, okay, we're going down this thought thought pattern, and you're like, well, yeah, but Ryan, like all the, they're all pretty young. And there's a sense of like, well, yeah, they're young, so of course there's this feeling of if only they had more time. But here's the thing. It's not just young people who feel that way when they die. This year, Betty White died. She was 99 years old when she passed away. And you know why her story is sad? She had a, like, she had a birthday party that was planned for her 100th birthday that she never got to, to do. And there's this sense, even with Betty White, who lived to be 99 years old. Gosh, if only she had just a little bit more time. That's the thing with death. The death, the grave, it is our greatest enemy. And the reason why is because there's something about death that is final. 
Like when you think of someone, like what, what penalty do you give to the worst criminals for the worst crimes? Death. Because there ain't no coming back from that. Because what death does is it crystallizes everything that you could have done, but you weren't able to do. That it truly is our greatest enemy. And as we look at the Easter text this morning, you get this sense that for the people who came to see Jesus' body, they were feeling a lot of the emotions that we tend to feel as it pertains to death. Look at this in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 24. We'll pick it up in verse 1. This is this, but on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, it was three ladies, taking, taking the spices they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, there's a lot of emotions. They're going to the grave, not expecting to find a resurrected Savior. They're going to the grave, expecting to find a dead body. They're going to the grave, hoping that they can give this holy man who they spent the last several years with a a proper burial. And something I think is so interesting about this text is that they knew when they were going to the grave that there was no way they were going to be able to roll that stone away. And so they're probably going, like, talking through, like, hey, maybe we can find someone that will help us. And, and they go to the grave. And the stone's gone. And there has to be this sigh of relief when it happens. Like, you know, good. We, we don't have to worry about that. And they go in, ready to anoint this body, to prepare it, give it the proper burial, and it's not there. But why are they perplexed about this? Because right now, in their mind, the best case scenario is that Jesus' dead body is not being defaced. But the beautiful part of this story is that not only was his body not being defaced, but there was something far more powerful on the other side. And as they go looking for this body, they don't find him there. An angel comes on the scene, and look at the message that the angel gives. It says, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened, they bowed their faces to the ground, and the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but he's risen. You know, and if you think about that question that the angels ask, It's kind of the heart of the whole Easter idea. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He's risen. And the Gospels are really good about explaining the fact that this event happened. That if you continue reading in Luke's Gospel, one of the things that you'll find is you'll find a lot of names. And the reason why Luke puts names in the Gospel, it's his way of saying like, hey, if you don't believe me, you can ask these people, this really is what happened. 
And while the Gospels do a great job of explaining what happens, it wasn't until a couple years, several years after Jesus rose from the dead, that people started writing about why this is important. And that's really what I want to look at this morning, that about 20 years after Jesus rose from the dead, there was a man named Paul. And he wrote a letter to the church at Rome. And in that letter, one of the questions that he answers is, why is it important that Jesus defeated death? Why is it important that when they went to the tomb, it was a good thing that Jesus wasn't there, but that he rose from the dead? And you see him make this case in Romans chapter 6, and you could really call Romans 6 why Easter is important. But you see it here in, in chapter 6, verse 4. It says this, says, we, were there, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father that we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is one of the reasons why we talk about baptism all the time. It's so important. That, that baptism is your way of identifying with the story of Christ. That when you're baptized, when you go in the water, what you're claiming is you're claiming and proclaiming to everybody that you have died to sin. And not only are you proclaiming that you have died to sin, but as you come out of the water, what you're saying is you're saying that because I have died to sin, in the same way that Jesus Christ conquered death and went out of the grave, I'm going to do the same thing. And that's why when it happens, we celebrate. But you, you see Paul explain why. He says, because if we've been united with him in a death like his we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. That it's so important that they went to the grave and didn't find a body. And the reason why is because Jesus did for us there something that we could never do for ourselves. And it's that he, he conquered our greatest enemy, death. I mean, really think about it. That if I were to say to you, okay, here's, here's uh, you have one goal, defeat death death. What would you say? What would you do? That, a couple years ago, Joanne and I went to this um, museum in Chicago, and they had this exhibit that was like, that said that it believed that someone is alive right now who will live to be 150. And I have a few thoughts of that, about that one is like, seriously, like, who wants to live to 150, right? Like, that just sounds, but, but that's, they're, they're like, hey, you, you can live to be 150. And then I still think, and the whole, the whole idea of the exhibit is like, it's about like the fountain of life. So trying to defeat death, trying to continue to live longer than you could. But here's the thing. Even if, you, even if there is someone who is alive, who's going to make it to 150, here's what's going to happen at 150. They're going to die. That there's nothing that you can do to defeat it. And you might think, okay, well, <clears throat> there might not be anything I can do to defeat it but there's some stuff I can do to make it, to delay it. I guess that's right. I mean, you can exercise. You can eat right. I mean, an apple a day keeps death away. <laughs> but at the end of the day, there's nothing you can do. You can't stop it. And then if I were to ask you, okay, so it, not just you, 
But how would you defeat death for others? I mean, we, we might come together and we could tell some story of like heroism where someone risked their life to save someone else. And maybe if we really knew the person, we'd all like have a good cry about that. But as great as that story is, it's just delaying what is going to happen to all of us. So we're, we're all going to die. And this is why the gospel is so important. This is why Easter is so important. Because if we've been united with him in a death like his, he defeated our greatest enemy. That he, he gives us hope to do something for us that there's no way we could do for ourselves. That as hard as we try, we couldn't defeat death. And you see that throughout Romans, but you also see why death even has to be. That as the text goes forward, look at this. It says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. That the reason why there's death that the reason why this is our reality outside of Christ is because very simply because of sin. That when Jesus defeated death, he didn't just defeat death, he also defeated sin. And you see that phrase there where it says the body of sin. It's not talking about your physical body, though your physical body is probably sinful too, but he's, he's talking about the body of sin kind of like you would like volumes of the same story. Like you could use like Star Wars. It's one story, but it has a ton of parts. You've got the movies with the numbers. You've got the cartoons. You've got the Disney Plus originals. You've got the supplemental stories that, that they've released to help you know more details about Han Solo and what happened with the Death Star. Like, and they all make one story. That is the body of the Star Wars story. That what Paul's saying here in saying the body of sin is he's talking about your sin story. And, and your sin story probably went something like this. At some point in your life, you learned what was right and you learned what was wrong. And you started doing what was wrong, even though you knew it was wrong. Then you, you probably became like a teenager at some point and you, you loved doing what was wrong. And so you continued to do what was wrong. And now you're adult, an adult and you hide what you do that is wrong. And what Paul is showing us here is he's showing us that you could, you could write book upon book upon book about the things that you do that you're not supposed to do. And because of that, all of us deserve to die. But Jesus Christ came and he died so that your body of sin might be brought to nothing. And because your body of sin has been brought to nothing, you can have this hope that he did for you what you could never do for yourself. And not only does he do that in the next life, but he also does it in this life. Look, it says, for the one who has, has died has been freed from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, 
we believe that we will also live with him. That this, is, this story in Romans is really talking about our story. It's showing us how we continue to know Jesus better. That it starts with getting baptized and identifying with what he did. And then, it's, and then it moves forward to living a life with him so that someday, that the hope of the Christian is that we wouldn't spend eternity in hell, but that we would spend eternity with Jesus forever, continuing to get to know him better. That this is what he came to do. That he came to bring us life and to do for us something that we could never do for ourselves. And that because he did this, that we can be confident sin doesn't hit the same way. That where there was bondage, where there was struggle, now there is freedom. There's grace. And there's hope. The hard part is this, is that death still comes. And, and because it still comes, there's this sense that we have where we're like, since we know that it's coming, we just try to squeeze everything out of life that we can. Because the last thing that we want is for it all to, to be over and us to feel like, man, if only I had just a little more time. I mean, and this, this is why 60-year-old dudes still try to live like they're 20-year-old dudes. This is why. I mean, because if you, if, if you got to get the most out of life, you might as well do what you can. That this is why people, this is why people will spend tens of thousands of dollars trying to hide the simple fact that we all look like we're dying. Because, man, if, if I only have one life, I don't want people to see that it's going to end. And we do that with bad things, but we also do it with good things. <clears throat> that when, when you know that it's going to end, there is a pressure on you to make the most out of every single moment. That man, this family gathering better be epic. That man, I'm going to make sure that we experience every single thing. Because here's the thing, it's going to end and no one wants it to end and to be thinking, gosh, if only I had more time. The beauty of what Jesus Christ came to do. He came to take the pressure off of you in this life. That because he died and he rose, it's not, it's not your greatest enemy anymore like it used to be. That where you were hopeless, where it was final, it's not. Because if, if we have been united with him in his death like this, we can hope that we will also be united with him in a resurrection like his too. And here, here's the beauty of the gospel. I want to show you just two verses right next to each other here. This is verse, I think it's verse five and verse nine. And it says this, for if we've been united with him in a death like, in a death like this, we shall certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. He's saying, if you've died to sin, then you can be confident that you'll experience a resurrection like his. But what does it say about his resurrection? 
we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Our resurrection is like his resurrection. So for us, our hope is that in the same way that death no longer has dominion over us, or over him, it no longer has dominion over us either. That we can be confident that this isn't the end, but that it's actually the beginning. And you could say it a lot of different ways, but I, I kind of like, like it this way. That you could say, if, if he walked out of the grave, then I'm, I'm walking too. Like that's our hope. That's what we're celebrating on Easter is that he came out of the grave and because he did, I'm, I get that same story. That you, you could say it this way. You could say, there ain't no grave that's going to hold my body down. That our story gets to be different because he conquered our greatest enemy. My question for you, though, it's only yours. It's only yours if you're living with him. That it's only yours if you would put your hope and your faith in him. That what makes Christianity so different from all the other religions is that all the other religions are basically advice. But by Christianity, it's a gospel. It's a story. That where they're telling you, do this and you'll be right with God. What Christianity says is Jesus did this so that you could be right with him. That Jesus did this so that you too can do this. My question for you this morning on Easter is that your hope? Is that where you place your trust? That is your hope in your heart of hearts that because he conquered the grave, you will too? And if the answer is no, by the power of his spirit, it draws you to himself. So I'm going to pray a prayer and here's what I believe about the grace of God is that he takes the first step. That by the power of his spirit, he does this thing inside of us where he woos us to himself. He makes us aware of the fact that we're not right, that there are things that we need to do. He offers us this free gift of salvation, this free gift of grace, this free gift that says, you can conquer the grave too, just like I did. But it's contingent upon us to respond. That you have to accept the gift. And if God is speaking to your heart and he's saying, this is it, It's on you to respond. It's on you to accept the gift. It's on you to pray the prayer to say that Jesus, you are Lord. And I put my faith and my trust in you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And God, we're thankful that there is no grave that will hold our body down. God, we're thankful that the death you died, you died to sin once and for all. That, God, you died so that that our body of sin might be done away with. And so, God, I pray for us this morning. God, I pray that if there's anyone here in this room and the reality of their situation is that right now you're speaking to their hearts. That that right now you're telling them, hey, he's talking to you. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that they would accept the gift. 
that you freely offer. I pray, God, that you'd give them the faith to respond, the grace to trust you, and, God, that you would change their hope this morning. That, God, they wouldn't have to put so much pressure on this life because you have something for us that's better. God, help us to rest in the fact that you have something coming for us that is greater than anything we could ever have for ourselves. God, we trust you. We put our hope in you. And we just pray that we would be able to respond. We pray that, God, as you stand at the door and knock, that we would open the door and let you in. Because, God, there ain't no grave that's going to hold our body down. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.